Mental Health and Addiction Podcast. I'm Good here morning, with my partners everyone. in time, Andy Panda Bernstein and Dean Cop Chris Perry Long. We've also Woo! got an analyst with us, Willie Drinkwater. Hi guys. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. <laughs> we've done I missed you guys. I know we missed all we all no. what did we do on our summer vacation, right? I know. It's gonna be yeah. a, an essay here. Um, so just a quick background on us. Chris has been in the industry for many years, dedicating herself to working with families and helping people get into treatment. Andy has been an advocate for mental health and addiction, both as a producer of Crosscheck Radio, as well as through his own experiences. As for me, I'm a person in long-term recovery and the founder of a sober home for women on the Cape called Brady's Landing. And we put this podcast together because the three of us are passionate about reducing the stigma around mental health and addiction. We believe that the more light we shed on these topics, the less people will stigmatize and otherwise punish those who suffer from this disease. Moreover, we hope the information we provide and the topics we discuss will help encourage people to seek treatment. Um, thank you also to Fox uh, Cable at Access TV, which where we now have the ability to take your questions live during the show. Um, also, we have all of this available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. So please post, share the show with your followers, and don't forget to tag your friends. We're um, ubiquitous. We're ubiquitous. Omnipresent. Got that word in there. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I think I know what I'm talking about. Uh, and I'm going to kick it up. That's a big word. It is. I know. Great. It's an SAT word. <laughs> yes. I learned it from Trump. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, Mr. Andy, you want to take us? Uh, so, yeah, so I uh, hope you guys are all doing well. I'd love to catch up with you in a second, kind of hearing about everybody's stories since we've been off the air. I know personally, had a ton of stuff going on. Love to hear from you guys, kind of what's been happening in your worlds and how you hold it up with part two of COVID. Part two of COVID. Kimberly? Oh, you want me to go now? Yeah. Well, um, I yeah. have been doing lots of things. I actually had a couple of girls graduate, so that was fun. Um, we're keeping, a, uh, keeping tabs on them, seeing how they're doing. Um, had a couple of neat things happen. I'm getting a new uh, Wolfie. We're actually getting three dogs um, coming up here. So we're starting the whole integrating the dogs into the program. Um, that are going to be our the foster kids, and we're going to hook them up with individual girls to take care of the dogs. Um, and so we're going to marry the two causes. And I'm so excited because for right now, they're all labs. We have Sam, Socks, and Max. Okay. Nice. Like a little, awesome. Like a, <laughs> like a kid's book. Max, Socks, and Sam. Or, you know. <laughs> you got to say that like 10, 10 times over. <laughs> right, right. So that's like a very positive thing that's happening. Um, I've been waiting to get this started. So super, super exciting. Um, cool. Chris, cool. That's, that's good. <laughs> good. Chris Long, what, what say you? How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, I'm just inundated with uh, people that are trying to get back on track. I think, you know, relapses have uh, spiked um like crazy and like me I'm sick of the whole COVID thing I'm sick of being told what I can and can't do and I what I want to do and I can't do it and so on and so forth and I think that people like especially people that have had like long-term recovery that have relapsed have recognized that this is not the lifestyle that they want to go through so 
Um, they're really digging down and I've got a lot of, I'm working with about half dozen different people and they're all very different uh, as far as where their recovery goes. It's definitely very challenging. Um, I've okay. seen the mental health side of it uh, firsthand, which I've always kind of scratched the surface and it's disgusting how our state deals with mental health. It's disgusting. It's, it's, it's infuriating. And I don't even know how to even begin to address it because right, right Cindy, Cindy's doing Cindy Freeman. I, I mean, I witnessed it firsthand and, um, you know, you always say, Oh, there's two sides of the story, but I sat in an emergency room with an individual and witnessed it um, and how they dealt with it. And it's just, you know, there's just, it's just, ugh, it's very frustrating. So why do, you, why do you think that is right now? Why do you think that, um, you know, is it the isolation? Is it, uh, you know, the uncertain, being uncertain times? Is it, do you, do you see that that's kind of the reason why the relapses um, have happened out Willie, you can chime in too, but um, do you think that that's what the reason is? I think that there's a, there, it's a whole bunch of different reasons. Um, obviously, the stimulus has been a huge contributor. Um, people not working, um, you know, people in recovery find a routine that works for them. It's different for everybody. And mm -hmm. now <clears throat> we've disrupted that routine with no support services in place for them to fill those gaps. So initially they're strong, but then slowly, you know, uh, they become complacent and because there's no support systems and then before you know it, you know, the floor falls out from underneath them and they're back in the throes of it. Um, I, I'm working on this uh, Purdue lawsuit too <clears throat> and I'm getting people's statements and I thought I've heard, <laughs> I thought I've heard it all. And this has been really eye-opening, uh, and this is across the country, so it's not just Massachusetts; it's it's all over. You are for sure the most you are the de most dedicated person I know, and so uh, you know people are lucky if they you know if you want to get in contact with Chris, I, I suggest <laughs> it highly. If you or a loved one is struggling, I think Chris can uh, can help you, um, Mr. Dr so you are a tireless person on the front line. So we need you. Um, drink water, Mr. Drink water. What's to you? How have you been doing? Yeah. I mean, the stimulus checks for many have been a major trigger because all of a sudden they get this load of cash. And if their recovery isn't really grounded, it's, it's just a setup to go back out again too, because they get this lump sum in a check. Um, I mean, the thing I've been finding in my practice, too, is people have hit the pandemic wall, so to speak. Uh, I've been having clients go inpatient psych, especially with anxiety disorders. I mean, imagine that you're OCD and germophobic to begin with, and then the pandemic comes. It's like they're trying to find hand sanitizer and 55-gallon gallon drums, you know? I mean, it's, it's just crazy. And then uh, uh, I've had quite a few that have gone back to detox again. I mean, they're, they're, they're just hitting the wall. And yeah, in, in Massachusetts, I mean, I wish we were like Connecticut or Louisiana. Those, those two states, they picked up a, a SAMHSA grant where they combine their, their, their mental health services to their addiction services. So it's, it's one-stop shopping, so to speak, you know, but. Uh, yeah, but is it really one-stop shopping? Are they yeah. really addressing it? 
Yes. Yes. Because they have, they've got both teams within, within the same program and they work together. It's like, like, but when I worked inpatient psych, which is one of the, one of the things that, that, that I do miss about the inpatient scene is that you had input from all the disciplines at the same time in the creation of a treatment plan and for doing groups and everything else. So, I mean, and yeah. where is this? Where is this? The state of Connecticut and Louisiana. They, they picked up these SAMHSA grants years ago. The nutmeg state. Where they, were able to, where, where they were able to combine mental health and addiction, which is the way it should be. It shouldn't be. Massachusetts, right. we have DPH is addiction, DMH is mental health. Each of them is a little fiefdom. Each of them is trying to protect their, their own budget. And when you have that kind of a thing, then you have the advocacy groups. You have advocacy groups for addiction always at the state house trying to get monies for, for DPH. And then you have the advocacy groups for mental health at the state house and they're trying to get it for DMH. And there's, you know, so you have this constant struggle of which one's going to get the most money. You know, I mean, DMH, the PAC teams have been out for years and years. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they can't create any new PAC teams. And that used to be a major plus. You'd have somebody going out to actually visit the clients in their apartments and, and taking them on appointments and that type of thing. And that that's all, all it's all gone by the wayside. So, so hold that thought because we're going to pick that back up, right? I'm bossy right now. Um, on this end, it's funny. We talked about mental health and insurance coverage. Um, one of the things I've been doing is um, uh, in our break, I started doing a weekly podcast with um, sport, you know former athletes and kind of their whole careers from um, in the full life. And one of the athletes, and Willie, you remember, remember Theo Fleury? We had no, him on yes. our show. Yes, yes. So we, we interviewed Theo yesterday, and Theo was fantastic. Theo played in the NHL for a very long time. He played over a thousand games. He's should be in the Hall of Fame. And Theo um, did a podcast, and we talked about his playing career, but we also talked about his drug addiction, gambling. And he said that he finally realized it was when he treated his mental health, he got in front of his addictions and so um he's you know he said it took him a long time he tried to commit suicide and stuff so um just wanted to see if you remembered theo because he was talking about that so um but yeah Yeah, i mean mean, i've mentioned before how you know like if you 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 show me someone that that's been in the detox five times or ten times and i'll show you somebody that has a mental health piece that's not getting addressed right that's just it so you get these kids they relapse they relapse because their mental health has not been addressed. They got the substance abuse under control, but the only way they can deal with their mental health is by using the substances. So we put them back in detox. They're frustrated, they're tired of it, and we spin them, we spin them. I got a kid right now in detox. I can't even tell you how many times they've been in and out of detox. And you know, then it's like, okay, well you need treatment. But we're not giving them the right kind of treatment. We're giving them just this, the, the same groups, the same. Yeah. I, I'm going to pause you. I'm going to put you. Hold on. We're going to get there. We got, we, I know you got a lot to say. We're very wound up tonight <laughs> on Friday morning. Kimberly, I don't read Red Book. We're going to hear from David Bastano from ARC, but um, behavioral health. But before we get to him, um, Kimberly, you, you read an article in Red Book. I don't read Red Book. My, myself well i do i know but you discovered the article tell tell us about it it is uh basically it, i wanted to find more inspiring stories for this whole covid 
um, nightmare. It's, it's, we all know there's bad numbers and there's things, bad things happening. So I want, kind of wanted to shift the focus over to things that are good happening in this pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. And so this, these have like several different small summaries of, of people who are doing um, very uh, selfless and inspirational things out there in the world. Um, for instance, they've got um, all kinds of people who, like groups of children going into senior homes, they're staying outside the windows and writing them cards. Um, they've got this one uh, local mom had packed lunch bags for all for people who were hungry, who didn't have food to eat. Um, it's really neat, um, you know, stories of hope. Um, there's a, a guy in South Dakota who was a teacher who taught his student a lesson from her porch, you know, through, through a window. You know, people like thinking outside the box and really, um, you know, finding ways to reach out to people in need. And I think it's especially important for, you know, the addicts and, and people with mental illnesses because, well, like you guys were just talking about, we're lacking connection. Connection is the whole basis of program that we, it's the foundation of what we, um, what we advocate, of what we stand for. And when we take that connection off, we're completely isolated. That's what addicts do. They if I can interject there, Kim, Kim, too, there's actually, there's a great YouTube by a gentleman named, uh, named Johan Hari, and he talks about addiction is an issue of uh, connection. And yes. I, I just showed it to my classes the other night. Rat Park. Yeah. Yes. 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 Rat Park. Exactly. Um, where can people find that article? Oh, it's anywhere on YouTube. If you if you um type in Rat Park, you will find. No, 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 no. The previous one, the from Red Book. Oh, the Red. Uh, Michael. I think Michael has that. It's um, Red Book Magazine. Um, inspiring COVID stories. So there it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's funny. I just had this discussion about leadership. Now, leadership doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be, you know, put somebody in charge to say they're a leader. And it sounds like what with this red book is that, you know, with with things like COVID and, you know, troubling times, you know, leaders are the ones who do things like that. They're the people who try to change, you know, what they can focus on, what they can control, but they step up. So you really do start to see who. Uh, where the rubber meets the road with people when they're in this particular time and they're doing these positive things. So great article. Good. Check it out. Um, Chris. Sir. Let's meet our guest. All the right. one, the only David Bassano. Bassano. Yep. So Bassano. Let's introduce so him. Bring him David, in. David. Yeah, bring him in. He's easy. He's well known in the, uh, in the world of substance abuse. Hi, uh, David. David's with ARC, which um, is got Northeast Addictions, Spring Hill, and Recovering Champions. And uh, he's going to tell us oh, a little I bit about- I met you before. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You were in uh, your offices are in Quincy, right above what, where we yep. used to do a radio show. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yep. Yeah, and then they, uh, they're yeah. opening in a detox real soon. So he's going to share a little bit about that. Uh, David's an interventionist and uh, is also somebody in long-term recovery. So with further ado, David, welcome. And- uh, Thank you, thank you. Share thank away. You all for having me. So tell us about whatever you want. Tell it, first of all, I know you heard what we were talking about, the whole yeah. isolation. What are you guys seeing uh, in your centers as far as, are you seeing a lot of repeat? Are you seeing a lot of 
uh, more the mental health side coming through? What are you What are you seeing? You know, I speak to not only the the individuals that come into our facilities, <clears throat> but therapists and psychiatrists, and the calls that I am getting are more geared towards mental health lately, or at least when the pandemic first started. Um, it was trying to help somebody get back into a routine that they fell out of. And they were, you know, they had the medication, they had the, the treatment, you know, be it weekly, what have you, but they, they had that connection like you touched upon. And all of a sudden that goes to the wayside. And, you know, I don't know about anyone else, but I can be pretty dangerous in my own head when I'm confined to my house and don't have that connection. So I think people started, you know, falling off, falling off the track and, and trying to get back on. And a lot of times they would lean towards substances, even if they, that wasn't their choice in the past, or they'd been, you know, in recovery for multiple years, but it, it, it just seems like everyone, you know, the training wheels came off and we weren't prepared for it. So we're seeing, you know, the reoccurrence of symptoms, we're seeing people trying to get back into treatment that had been successful for a month, for five years, um, you know, trying new substances. It's, it's been kind of, you know, unprecedented to, you know, really put your finger on, you know, what's going to happen next. And, you know, all we can do as a team of people in the industry is try to help individuals um, understand what's going on in their world right now a little bit about their past and how we can help navigate them, you know, to the best form of treatment. That's, that's what I've been doing. That's what I've been seeing. And it's been all different avenues from, from inpatient psych to inpatient substance use disorder facilities from detox to outpatient, the whole nine yards. And it's just a matter of connecting somebody as soon as possible. And in, in ways like this, where we're doing zoom and telehealth, telemed, um, because people are still still scared and full of fear and anxiety. So, so you guys represent a couple, you own a couple of different things. I know that sure. um, Spring Hill, um, I've been to Spring Hill, uh, uh, Amy, Amy, Amy George, and uh, I know Eric, who both aren't with you guys anymore. But, um, but, you know, what are the differences between the different facilities that you represent? And, sure. and how do they work? Sure. And why do you need more than, you know, and what, you know, I guess, you know, what makes all these facilities unique? Love to hear sure. that. <clears throat> well, as, as somebody who's reaching out to people or meeting people in crisis, it's not a one size fits all. So having a few facilities such as Spring Hill, which is on 70 acres of land out in Ashby, Massachusetts. In um, a hill? Yeah, on the hill. It's, it's a kind of a, a retreat style uh, residential program. It only has 32 beds. It's pretty spread out. So people feel as though they're not in that hospital setting where they might not have succeeded in the past. You know, uh, if, if they didn't, if they were just kind of going down a list and, and went to a hospital and went through detox and residential there and it didn't work, this might be a good avenue for them. You know, it, it allows them to really focus on themselves. It, they have the fresh air, they can walk around, it's very peaceful. Um, they don't feel as restricted or confined. Um, with our two partial hospitalization programs and IOPs for Northeast Addiction Treatment Center in Quincy and Recovering Champions on Cape Cod, again, 
two amazing outpatient programs, but very different. Um, Trauma-informed therapists, master-level clinicians, you know, uh, we're doing DBT, CBT um, at both facilities, but it's a different feel. It's, you know, you have a closer city vibe for Northeast in Quincy, where Cape Cod, as Kimberly, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a little bit more quiet. It's a little bit more relaxed. Uh, you're still getting the, the treatment, you know, from nine to three, but, but it, it's just where somebody's going to open up and really accept their recovery. And that's my, that's my mantra, you know, how can I help you be successful? So with these really? three options under our umbrella, somebody could actually go to Spring Hill for residential treatment, continue at one of our partial hospitalization programs, step down to IOP and be in a treatment episode for, you know, three months or longer. And that, that, you know, deem success for some. Are, are they men, uh, are they both open to men and women or are they separated? No. Um, so it's men and women where Northeast addiction is more focused on men's groups and women's groups. So it's gender specific, although it's okay. under the same building, but Willie? So that's always something to look into too. You, you ask all the questions to understand where somebody is and, and what their recovery is going to look like and try to help them direct them to the most successful option for them. Gotcha. William, yeah. what say you? Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you know, the, the, there's specific programs that I like to refer people to up here on the North Shore and stuff. I mean, you know, that, that deal in dual, you know, like, like Ballpate Hospital up in Georgetown. I mean, um, I do referral there because, you know, it, it's basically a D-DART. You know, and, you know, I mean, anyone coming out of the detox, they're dual diagnosed, it may be temporary, but anyone coming out of the detox is going to be anxiety and depression that need to be dealt, dealt with. It's part of the price of travel. So, so even though they not, they may not remain a dually, so to speak, I mean, you know, early recovery, everyone's a dually. So, so I think they need the education on, uh, on the mental health side, as well as, you know, the addiction piece. So. So I look for programs that, that do education on both sides. And just Chris. to speak. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's okay. And just to piggyback on that, really, it's, you're right too. And if somebody is in that dual state, you know, if they're in a treatment episode for, you know, a longer period of time, they're able to really get a baseline of medication, right? Instead of, you know, Chris, with, with the mental health, it's like you're in for 72 hours and all of a sudden you have a, a new regimen of medication without even having a baseline. Right. So it's, it's able to really work with medication management too. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I mean, when they come out of the detox, I'm a big advocate of them having a complete physical with blood work done. So you have a baseline to go from exactly. while, you're at the, while you're at the primary care, then they should be referred to a nutritionist. And then we have to talk about getting them into a, a program of exercise, you know, beginning with maybe two, three days a week for 20 minutes to half an hour walking, you know, just, just, just walking. Mm -hmm. Just get the body in motion again. So, Kimberly. Yeah, so I have a question, David. I know we've, uh, because of Recovering Champions being on the Cape, um, we've worked together on a couple of occasions. Um, when I'm referring clients out who maybe have relapsed or what have you, what makes, how, how do you define ARC in relationship to Recovering Champions to Northeast? To how, What makes you guys um, special? What's your niche? Under, under the ARC umbrella. Um, I think 
across all of our programs, it's, it's compassion, it's empathy, it's because everybody's hurting, everybody's com comfortably uncomfortable. And it's, and it's a matter of helping somebody understand where they are. A lot of us have been there before and trying to walk with them through, through the program instead of forcing them through the program, nice. right? Um, yeah. Everyone, at least for myself, I was more apt to get recovery with an open mind and I did it and I walked through it instead of being forced through it, so. Nice. We're, and what about your story? Should we should we have David talk a little bit yeah. about his background? Sure. It's been a while, so bear with me. Um, <clears throat> so my my history, I I struggled with alcohol for a good portion of my twenties and thirties. Um, normal education, great family, uh, went to school, went to college. Um, and I'm seeing this more and more as it doesn't discriminate. A lot of it became isolation, the mental health piece, uh, not feeling like you're part of something. Um, even though I was a very social, had friends and all that. But um, in my 20s, I started drinking to excess and it wasn't fun anymore. And a couple DUIs later, uh, went to a handful of treatment centers and you know i just just couldn't get it i'd get a year i'd get 18 months six months until i really stepped back my background is actually in hotel operations and and it's long and it's stressful and there's alcohol and substances running rampant um at least through the the, the hotels that i was working with so it became a lifestyle but um you know, by the grace of God, I went through a 12 step program and, and that was what, what kind of worked for me. I went through the book thoroughly. Um, I had a sponsor, you know, worked the steps, helped other people get through the steps. And, um, and, you know, the, the desperation, despair, uh, you know, every, everything just got better. And, you know, you work it every day. I'm fortunate enough to to gotten into this industry about six six some odd years ago, and um, and can help people help themselves. And I can share some of my professional experience, some of my 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 story, depending on you know who needs to hear hear what at that time, and to identify what you know or relate to what I was going through to help them. But um, but yeah, I. You know, I give you the elevator elevator speech of it. Um, <laughs> I suffered. I suffered for about fifteen years. You know, trying trying my best. The one thing I didn't stop doing was trying. And I tell people all the time: you fall down eight, you get up nine. And you, you know, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I was curious. You had touched on something, and uh, sure. um, how how does this industry? Because I always I always want to find out from people who we speak to. How does this feed your soul, right? If, if, if I could, you know, obviously this is a, a tough business to work in. Sure. So you came from the hotel industry, you've gone into the um, treatment industry, you know, into the world of treatment. How, how does this fulfill you? Just curious. Good question. And I get that a lot. Um, you know, when I put my head on my pillow at night and 
knowing I hopefully helped somebody and didn't hurt somebody and maybe open the eyes to a, an individual or a family. That's a pretty cool feeling, you know, um, being out there. It, it's not even representing an organization. It's, it's almost representing yourself and, and really giving it, you know, people that don't understand this or it's their first time, you know, there's, there's no manual, there's no playbook of what to do. So being a, a professional and guiding somebody to the next right thing, or at least if I don't have that answer, I can guide them to somebody who might. Um, it's pretty fulfilling to be able to help. And then, I, I, I'm sorry, I just have questions. Um, explain how, um, if you can, and I'll let you guys all chime into it, you know, what are some of the, you know, with so many different treatment centers, so many different news, you know, during the, uh, during our break, we, we heard about American addiction centers and, and some of their uh, stuff. I know them because I worked for them for two days, but um, <laughs> I did two, two days. Um, what are some of the, the challenges facing your industry and how do you face in the industry as a whole? And how do you guys see it? Um, you know, what, what do you think needs to happen or where do you see things going? So David, we could start with you, but then let's hear from the rest of our Hollywood squares. <laughs> um, I think the industry, you know, has taken its hits over the years, right. With all the, the craziness that's happened in other States and other parts of the country. Um, I think up here in New England, we do a pretty good job of, you know, the, the ethical standing in the black and white, not having this, this gray area. And that's really what you have to do because we're dealing with people, right? We're not dealing with a, a, a pen or a product. It's we're dealing with individuals. So that's really the, the challenging piece of trying to run. Andy's a, having his own challenges. Right? <laughs> I'm having my own challenges with right. my camera. Problem job. Hold on, but I'm back. Hold on. You're back. That's how we do it here. Oh God, you're all face and no body. I know there's a lot of Andy face. <laughs> my, my meat face. <laughs> um, yes. So I think, I think like what you're saying there, you know, we've kind of worked in the same, uh, out of Massachusetts, putting people out of Massachusetts. And now we're focused in, you know, the Massachusetts, uh, we have some really great treatment options in mass and six, eight years ago, we didn't have those options. So that's why there were so many marketers taking people from Florida. I mean, from Massachusetts, putting them in Florida, California and other States. Um, I think my biggest frustration as far as, you know, I see how some of the better facilities deal with the dual diagnosis. I don't think that we are, where we need to be here in mass yet with availability for dual diagnosis. I don't think having a nurse, psych nurse practitioner, whatever their title is there to be able to prescribe meds should be what dual is. I think there needs to be a, but this is my personal opinion. There needs to be a therapist or a, a psych doctor that can actually diagnose and then be able to prescribe and uh, give the person the opportunity to 
get these meds in, get regulated, because now what happens is people go to programs, mental health programs, and they get stabilized, and then they get discharged, and then they have to navigate alone, maybe with a therapist that they meet once a week, maybe twice a week if they're lucky, and their body's going through all these changes. And yeah, they go in and they check in with these med checks and stuff, but it's not the same with being somewhere and being able to have that feeling that, that whatever you want to call it, dealt with in the moment. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. yes. I mean, I I'm frustrated. I, I'm frustrated that the way we deal with mental health is it's a quick fix. It's a two weeks at most. If you're lucky, you might be able to stay longer, but it's two weeks and it's like, well, we got them in their meds. We're gonna send them out and we'll monitor them. I mean, we've had multiple guests that have said that it has taken two years to finally find what works for their body with constant med checks. And in those med checks, you go through the depression, the anxiety, the suicides, the homicidal thoughts, all those things. I mean, I know you can't keep somebody for, you know, six months, a year, but I just think that we need to address it a different way. Yeah, no, I'm, no, I'd like to chide in on this too. I mean, you know, when I was on the consumer advisory board, you know, it was like, I remember a meeting where everyone was, you know, raving how we just got 60 new detox beds and isn't that wonderful? And I was like, yeah, and what's going to happen? They're going to come out. We don't have enough 30-day programs. And then when you look at Harvard Research, Harvard Research is telling you right up front that you don't begin to see a significant drop in the relapse rate till someone gets to 100 days of continuous treatment. But, you know, it's always 30-day, 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 CSS, TSS. You know, it's interesting. It's nice. But the probability of them remaining sober after 30 days is not that great. It really isn't. You know, you, you have to hit at least 100 days, so. I have a question, you know, not about my camera, or my, but my question is, um, you know, I have a family member who has used cannabis for a very, very long time and dependent on cannabis. You know, people say you can't get dependent. I'm pretty sure you can in some way, right? Uh, and he's also a big gambler and he had sex stuff and all this it's interesting since, and he lost a girlfriend and she overdosed and young. The thing is, it's, he quit everything, you know, the gambling and the, and the, um, and the cannabis, it's been several months and being isolated with the COVID, he lives out West. My question is, is he wanted that, right? He wanted to, to stop. Right? It was in him to stop. How much of this, you know, if I'm being ignorant, but how much is this is like, you know, what are people's desires, right, too, in your own internal, like, it's like you could tell me to, you know, it's not good for me or we're going to go through therapy and things like that. But how much of it is the individual who has to say, you know what, I'm not doing it anymore. And how, how does that factor into the treatment equation? Like how do we hold people accountable their own self? You're opening up Pandora's box now. <laughs> you definitely yeah. are. I mean, there, there was a book that came out years ago by uh, Professor Emeritus from BC. He does research at, 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 uh, at uh, McLean by the name of Gene Heyman. And he came out with a book called Addiction, a Disorder of Choice. 
and people went off the rails. He was on talk show and 12 step people were calling up and just wanting to ream this guy out and stuff. But, you know, in, in, in his research, he said, you know, 70 to 80% of people get sober on their own between the ages of 30 and 35. And, uh, um, I believe that. Well, I actually knew Gene so was, so I called him up and he, and he was, and, and I said, so, you know, you're saying people get sober on their own between 30 and 35 without any type of form, formal treatment. And he goes, yes. And I said, well, you didn't mention in your book were, were people using community supports like 12 step meetings and smart recovery and this and that. And he said, well, yeah, I said, you didn't say that in your book though. You know? So, I mean, you know, but he was saying, you know, 30 to 35, because you get to that age where you realize that this isn't going to go on forever life and maybe there's stuff I want to do but when right. that book when he took it off the medical model there's been other others that have taken it off the medical model too and uh you know you, you, they get a lot of flack it's a Pandora's box it really really is you know but, so, but what you're talking Andy is almost like spontaneous remission he just said okay I'm done well, well he had a loss right the girl yeah. who he yeah. was dating who he cared about and loved deeply overdosed of fentanyl yeah. and it really his world yeah, and he just decided I've had enough, and I don't because he was telling me last night his lifestyle, like he was living in her lifestyle when she died. Because when she died, it freed him to start living his own life because he was caught up in her in her lifestyle. So it's just remarkable to me that he's just like I'm not gambling and I'm not using weed at the same time and he's been doing great with it because he made up his mind so i just you know we talk about this it's like but sometimes you can't chase people who don't want to be caught yeah, so yeah, that's yeah i'd like to circle back to something that, that kim was saying earlier kim was talking about you know what what are the positives that are coming out out of the covid and one one of the big ones that i've been seeing with with, with several clients is there's a self-reflection period go, going on now it actually you know they were going 100 miles an hour and then the covid slammed on the brakes and now, and now they're really thinking about where their life is at, where it was, and where they want to go to. I'm, I'm even seeing this with my fellow therapists. It's like, uh, I don't know how many therapists I've been talking to, you know, in our North Shore group. And they're all saying, yeah, you know, when this is over, you know, I don't want to be, be leaving the coming center three or four nights a week at seven or eight o'clock at night. Maybe, maybe I'll use my office for morning appointments. And then if somebody wants an appointment after two or three in the afternoon, I'll be glad to do it. But it's going to have to be teletherapy from home. I want to be home. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be staying out there till seven or eight o'clock at night. So, so can you guys so just wait? There's can a lot guys, of self-reflection that's going on now, too. Lots of positives. Unbelievable positives. I mean, just, just you're right, Lily. The, the, they have to slow down. You have to slow down. You have no choice. You know, I had the girls were walking, taking two to three walks during the day because it was beautiful outside, you know? And it was like, oh, this is, oh, and just sitting, you know, sitting and watching and just looking and yeah, seeing yeah. themselves and then chilling. Yeah. yeah, it's like when I was on the comedy scene, we, we used to joke about East Coast comedy versus West Coast. And, you know, on both coasts, you're doing 16 hour days, right? You know, I mean, the East Coast, you're getting up, you're going to radio stations, you're doing the promo, you're getting ready for the show that night. L.A., you know, out on the West Coast, it was like, oh, it's it's 2 a.m. Why don't why don't we stop and go get a latte? I mean, it was it was just a much more slower pace. You know, it was a livable pace where on the East Coast, it was insane. It was it was like, you know, it, it's almost like like Boston's a bipolar town. You know, you go 100 miles an hour and 100 miles an hour and then you crash, you know, and then you go 100 miles an hour. It's it's just crazy work to live on the West Coast, live to work on yeah, the East that, Coast. 
the East Coast, you, yeah, you live to work. And on the West Coast, you know, you work to live. You know, it's just, it's, a, you go down South, it's that way too. You know, you don't live, they even do things down, down South. Like they might take off like a Wednesday in the middle of the week and you're going, how, how can you take, well, when we work, we work hard. Once in a while, we take off an extra day to go fishing or hunt. I mean, isn't it like, a, so my husband travels around the world and he goes to, um, like he used, was going to Saudi Arabia a lot. I think it was I don't know, but they, they would take naps. Like, yeah. that's it. You, you don't work during this time. And he was like, I didn't know what to do with myself. You go to the Mediterranean. They do that. You go to Italy. They close Italy. everything down in Calabria. Calabria. Yeah, you take Fiesta time at two o'clock. <laughs> American, American companies in Italy, they tried to get everyone, you know, on a straight 40 hours. And it ended up being less, less productive than allowing them to have, you know, the afternoon off and then coming back and, you know, wrapping up in the early evening time. So. David, what so say you? Yeah, I was going to say, we need to hear from David. I, yes. No, I, I, I agree with all that. I used to live in Europe, so I totally understand the whole when it shuts down, it shuts down. And I'm looking around going, I'm the American. What do I do? <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I got, I got acclimated with it. I started eating dinner at 10 o'clock like the rest of them. Right. That's but, my father-in-law. Yeah. But, but it's right. You know, you start seeing everybody slowing down, everybody having that self-reflection, even, even earth in general, right? The smog starting to lift, the rivers yes. are getting cleaner, yes. the pollution. I kind of, you know, parallel that to, to some of us if, if we're able to, you know, have that healthy you know, looking deep inside and say, you know, what's important, right? What's important to me now that everything's slowing down? Can my relationships with my family, my loved ones, my friends, how, how can I strengthen that and grow that? Mm. And all of a sudden your, your priorities shift a little mm. um, to where, oh my gosh, I am more productive. I'm able to work, you know, in, in Boston, you know, we're not commuting as much. You're not in the car as often you're getting more things accomplished you're talking to people in a different form of communication and even though it's not that face-to-face -face, i feel as though we're, we're touching more people right we're reaching out to more people people are being uh, they're able to get the help they need if they're in a remote area and they're able to participate in, in telehealth groups telehealth uh therapy so uh, i've been able to connect people that might not have gone to treatment so so that's that's a good thing too if they're open to the the change and we all know change is difficult. David, let's talk about process for a second. Um, when, and you guys can all chime in on this too. But with process, so you know we talk about insurance and we talk about all the different ways to you know getting in the treatment, etc. How, how does your process work with? Um, you know, your insurance and how, how do you, you know, how, how, if somebody wants treatment, how do you, how do you, um, what does it look like? What are the steps? Thank you. Thank you. What are the steps? <laughs> um, you know, we, for any of our facilities, um, we try to make it very simple. Um, at least the people that, that I come into contact with, my phone is always on, you know, people call me all the time and I'll help get them into treatment. Um, at our facilities, same thing. We'll, we'll, we're actually opening a detox in three weeks. Uh, so that process will speed up because of the processes we're putting into place, be it calling me directly, calling our 
our 800 number, you know, we'll, we know that there's a small window of opportunity. So we want to make sure we get that in place as quickly as possible. Okay. Um, so my phone number, our, our 800 number, you know, we, we do accept insurance. It's, it's, it's a private company. It's, it's commercial insurance, self-pay. Um, that's our, our model for starters. Um, you know, we're looking to expand that down the road. We've expanded over the last year, acquiring two facilities and opening up, uh, opening our fourth, well, our first, but, but our fourth facility coming on, on. And again, it's, it's more beds to offer people in, in New England. Some people come in from, from out of state. It's a little challenging now with the, with the COVID, but, um, you know, we're, we're trying to help as many people as we can. Why don't you share real quick about bed, bedrock, right? Correct. So the new- Joe uh, Rockhead. <laughs> every time I hear bedrock, I think of Fred Flintstone. Me too, right? That just shows my age. The way outs, we're going to the way outs, way outs. Right. Uh, um, is, no, Bam, is Bam Bam the receptionist? Yeah. <laughs> Just don't call me Happy. No, so Brick Rock. Yeah, so so Bedrock is located in Canton, um, Canton, Mass. My neck of the woods. Twenty four, and it's we're opening a to for starters or phase one at least. Um, a 20 bed detox and 20 bed soon to be 40 bed residential program. Um, it's, it's tucked away in a nice area uh, of Canton, which it's, you know, kind of not off the beaten path, but, you know, a feeling of, of support and safety for everyone there. Um, it's, we will be looking into uh, adding a first responders track as well. It was part of our our vision to be able to you know and it's not due to the COVID it was it was something that we've uh, been looking at for quite a while and implementing that um, hopefully in a few months after we open so that's exciting to be able to you know help all the people in in Massachusetts and surrounding states that have helped us along the way um, it's exciting. Um, you know, I've, I've opened facilities before, and this is going to be uh, another, you know, I can't wait to share it with people, right, and and show the, the state-of-the-art treatment center. You know, it doesn't have to be top-notch. It doesn't have to be bottom of the barrel. You know, people get, people get clean and sober where, where, they, where they want to, you know, when it's time, but being able to offer something, you know, to the communities is going to be awesome. And that way we'll have the addition to the Spring Hill Residential, we'll now have the detox uh, part to really help people stay on a track of, of recovery if they have the ability and time to do it. Yeah, absolutely. How, how does it differ from me? Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, no, sorry. Canton. So how close is that to Randolph? Wait, Randolph. Very close. Randolph. Very close. It's <laughs> close. It's right next to the sister cities. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Andy. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, Randolph, um, how do you differ than some of the other, uh, you know, from the detox center? Obviously, there's a big need for the detox centers. How do you guys differ from, like, say, a clean slate or some of the other, you know, what are some of your 
competitive advantages if you could speak to that? Sure. Well, not to put you on the spot, but yeah, (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah, right. (laughs) I'm I'm like Mike Wallace. (laughs) I'm like Mike Wallace. I'm an investigative reporter, but no, I mean, it's, it's inpatient detox, right? So it's not, it's not outpatient like clean slate. It's, you know, a medical detox. It's, it's triage. It's that piece to help someone, you know, medically detox you safely for the five to 10 days, whatever that looks like based on a protocol to get you safely detoxed and then to the next level, right? In a comfortable environment. And again, it comes, it comes back to the nutrition piece. Obviously there's not the whole lot of exercise going on in a, in a detox, um, but it's, it's, it's to, to help you help yourself get through this, right? You're comfortably uncomfortable. You're getting the medications you need to, you know, keep your blood pressure, you know, stable and, and help you through the discomfort of, of kind of a, a, it's not rainbows and puppy dogs sometimes. Okay. So I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, the mass health detoxes, right? You have to, with methadone, we're talking about methadone. You have to be down to a certain amount of milligrams. I know this is a technical question. You might not have the answer. But I also know that like in the private detoxes, they're able to take higher doses of methadone uh, to detox from, are you going to be able to detox somebody from a higher dose of methadone? Great question. And I do not have the answer to that yet. I will not pretend I do. Okay, because that's important because there's a lot of people, Very much. you know, one of the things that I've been seeing too is a lot of people, um, I've got a lot of people that have gone from Suboxone that are now going to methadone, which is, we've seen a spike in, in people going to methadone, which is, um, I don't know, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but on the same token, you know, they're already talking about how to get off of methadone and, um, there's not a whole lot of options out there for somebody who's on 120 milligrams of methadone a day to be able to go and detox at say like high point or something like that. They want them down to a very low dose. And when you get down to that low dose and you run the risk of relapse and it's like, it's, it's just counterproductive to me, but. Uh, Yeah, Chris, I mean, with, with methadone too, the research has shown to successfully come off of methadone, it's one milligram a week. Right. Week with with supportive services, therapy, right. individual therapy, and couples and family involved too. Right. It's one it's milligram not an a week. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's just a whole nother topic. Methadone is a whole yeah. nother topic. Um, what are some What are some of the things you're seeing right now? And uh, I'll throw that out to all of you guys in our remaining minutes. What What do you see as far as um, the cases? Are they? Um, is it methamphetamine? Is it you know, heroin, fentanyl, like what, what's the, uh, the current status? I'll, I'll chime into that real quick. I, I did see a spike in, in crystal meth and the methamphetamines over the last six months or probably a little bit longer than that. I don't know if it's found its way up to the, the Northeast, but I've also come across a lot of individuals that are struggling with the fentanyl and in their, in their fifties. Really? Yeah. And, why? And I, I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> um, it's 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 something that is he either been pain management for quite some time, 
And I don't know if the, the pandemic had anything to do with it or accessibility. I, I just don't know. But um, seeing a little bit of that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it depends on the region that you're in, too. I mean, the, down, the, down the Cape and stuff, too. I mean, there, there's a major problem with, with, with the elderly and benzos and opiates, right. too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, 100% yeah. seeing that. Absolutely. And alcohol. I mean, we always forget alcohol. <laughs> you know, oh, it's forget alcohol. alcohol. Oh, I'm on the North Shore. I don't forget alcohol at all. The, the, <laughs> the majority of my clients on the North Shore, you know, it, it's alcohol. I mean, I'm dealing with, yeah. you know, Buffy, Todd and Chip and the Beamer people and, you know, Country Club and Yacht Club. And it's alcohol. It's like, oh, yeah. it's it's number one, you know, because there aren't any alcoholics. They're just problem drinkers of those that can't hold their liquor. You know, I mean, that's right. how it's phrased. I mean, Right. Well, you know, the thing that you're going to see, too, is that we're not talking about. And I was I was out to dinner with somebody last night and there's a lot of people that live alone and don't have people checking in. And like I envision this when the world finally opens back up, like opens back up. How many people are going to be like, are we going to find like dead in their homes? Like because nobody's checked on them for so long. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a scary, like, there's a lot of scary sides to this whole COVID thing and what it's done. And going back to what David was saying about the older people, I think self-reflection, you know, having to stay home and look at yourself every day and actually see that you have a habit. And because before you were so busy, you might've been a business owner or somebody with a high you know, uh, title. That 100 mile an hour pace. This is gut check time. This is gut check. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, they're realizing, holy crap, you know, I'm spending two, $300 a day on a habit that, you know, all I do is, is discriminate against those quote unquote junkies. And I'm one and they take a look at themselves. And that's a big, that's a big thing to have to swallow. Um, face yourself. Yeah. Yeah. To face yourself. The, go ahead, Dave. No, the other thing on that, what I've seen a lot of too is, you know, the professionals, the the married couple, the husband or the wife, they're off to work, the other one stays home, or they're both off to work. They have their routine afterward, right? They go out and they have a few beers with their friends. They might have something during the day. Uh, if you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, you might have your you know your fix throughout the day as well. All of a sudden, you don't have that routine by yourself anymore. And your your partner is at home with you, and oh boy, all of a sudden your hand is revealed, right? So I, I'm getting a lot of families coming up to me or calling me on in regard to that. You know, my husband, my wife, you know, something's going on. I don't know what it is. So it's it's. David, we have a um, question. Yeah. Uh, do they have long-term care facility placement? That's on our Facebook uh, post. Say that so. again. So uh, Anne Bendini is asking, do they have long-term care facility placement? Okay. For um, the elderly, maybe? Is that what they mean by long-term care? You right. think? Not sure. Uh, I think she's asking more of, I mean, we sort of discussed it a little bit, but what if, if somebody if somebody went through a full continuum of care, starting with detox all the way down to outpatient, it could be a six month, you know, six month treatment episode. 
even longer by the time you you'd hit outpatient if you're in some type of structured sober living and continuing with, with outpatient you're still staying connected to treatment and something larger than yourself you know the statistics show that when we do that we have a better chance of succeeding depending longer on the, the better right success. yeah yeah, I think, and David's, David's right, I think that the goal is to get at least a year under your belt. If you can get from, you can spend 90 days in a facility, that's the best way to go. Um, I know not a lot, not a lot of programs um, facilitate that. It's just insurance to cover it. But if you can go, you know, as long as you can stay in treatment, the better, then you go to IOP, then you go to sober living, and you do that for about a year, you, your chances of success go up astronomically, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing thing, too, because, you know, the state... The state doesn't want to pay for 100 days of continuous treatment, but they end up spending more by just having 30 day stays. So, I mean, you know, short term, uh, right. they're not thinking wise, pound foolish. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Right. right. Exactly. So, David, give us uh, we got to wrap it up here. And uh, this has been a great conversation here with the Hollywood Squares. Um, <laughs> uh, um, David, can you give us a. Uh, a, where people can get in touch with you. Sure. And, Go ahead next. <laughs> and um, yeah, and where can they get in touch to you? Website, email, phone? Sure. Um, they can get in touch with me on my phone at 239-290-7297. Our website is arcbh.com, A-R-K-B-H.com. And... My email address is dbasano, B-A-S-S-A-N-O, at arkbh.com. Well, thank you so so much. And uh, I'm going to let, uh, appreciate you coming on. Kimberly, I think you're in the right. top right. Um, you're in my top right. Take, take, yes. take us out. Take us out. Okay. All right, David, thanks again for coming on. Willie, thank you too as, for the panelists. Really appreciate that. Um, as, as you all know, we do this podcast not only to help reduce stigma, but to be of service to anyone struggling with addiction or mental illness. Uh, we have access to an entire network of professionals, and we can help you find the right fit. So please reach out to one of us or on our Facebook page or at the numbers given um, on our show notes after the show. So you guys have been listening to The Map. Thank you all again for supporting our mission, and we will see you on Wednesday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Great weekend, everybody. Bye. 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 B